You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How about you? Good, good, good. We've had a good week here at uh, Massive Late Fee, as always. We have a special guest today, Savvy Schmidt from Schmidt Talk and uh, Radio Love Behind the Pop Filter. How you doing, Savvy? I'm good. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. So you do a show out of California, correct? Well, it's almost California. It's basically the southernmost point of Oregon. So okay. literally, it's about 25 miles to the border, 25-minute drive, which Okay. And what uh, what do you guys talk about on your show? Schmidt Talk is just a variety of different show, like talk talk topics. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have different guests on. Initially, um, my concept for Schmidt Talk was that I would have the devil as my co-host. We just wouldn't say that he was actually the devil. We just called him he with a D. Um, okay. And I, I had a voice actor for a while that could actually record his voice as the devil without putting it through any software which was super awesome and he would do a color commentary on everything and um, we were broadcasting from the quote-unquote lake of fire studios and people really bid on it and it was great um since then i've kind of just drifted off doing my own thing i hope to get the devil back on the show um i raise the devil campaign like even get some t-shirts and stuff so we can get him back on the show because he comes with a hefty price tag now like he actually does commercials for lexus and uh dave merrick if you're listening uh, we want you back at schmidt talk just kidding (laughs) um (laughs) but no it's it's really awesome i need to dig up some of those shows they're they're gosh six or seven years ago now i think but but anyway my show's been off the ground i'm saying six or seven years but i haven't really put like an actual like timeline on it like but it's been in the background of my other media career because i've been working in real radio and tv stations hey mike uh remember when you used to or when you did the uh, voice of the devil for me yeah i was just thinking about that actually (laughs) when uh you brought that up yeah that uh maybe you should uh consider going into business doing that yeah back when we were in school because mike and i have known each other for a long time we i did some project about the crucible and I made a, a audio tape for my project and Mike did the voice of the devil, uh, um, tempting Tichaba. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was, That's it awesome. was great. Yeah, it was, That's awesome. it was the hit of that tape for sure. It is a really good and catchy, um, person to have on a show because like, honestly, um, it's just super funny. And I think we need levity in this world because everything is just so, we just really need to just bring the humor up. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we try to do here, obviously. Um, but uh, I guess we'll get into the news. Uh, the Oscars were this Sunday, Mike, I'm going to guess that you watched 10 minutes of them. I actually watched a good amount of it. I don't know why nothing else was on. Ah, okay. Uh, what did you think? No, no host. The show went by fairly quickly for the Oscars. Anyway, what did you think of it? I mean, I wasn't really familiar with any of the movies or anything like that, so it didn't really do much. There was just nothing better. Out. Yeah, it definitely takes a little bit away from it. Did you watch the Oscars, Savvy? 
I did not watch the Oscars. Um, I only watched the Lady Gaga plus, um, what is, I'm having a name day where I can't Bradley remember names. Cooper. Bradley Cooper, because yeah. I did actually see that A Star is Born in the theater, and I'm an avid Lady Gaga fan anyway. But so I just only watched that. Somebody posted the YouTube video on Facebook, so I went to watch it. I truthfully didn't really even know the Oscars were yesterday, except people have been talking about it. So I'm kind of out of the loop, but that's what a busy producer does. Right. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was definitely a big moment. The uh, the musical number between the two of them. Uh, I would say Samuel L. Jackson announcing Spike Lee winning for Black Klansman. Oh, that, that was pretty. That was a pretty big moment too. He was. He did you see that, Mike? He was incredibly excited. Yeah, I saw that. Oh darn it! Now I'm gonna have to watch because that sounds really cool. <laughs> so I, I was nine out of ten on my Oscar predictions. The only one I got wrong was Glenn Close. Uh, um, Olivia Coleman won for the favorite, and Glenn Close did not win for. The wife. This was the seventh time she was nominated, and I assumed that the Academy would give her one of those patented lifetime achievement awards, basically, for snubbing mm-hmm. her so many times. But instead, they decided uh, to snub her for a seventh time. So that oh. can't feel good. Oh my gosh! Did she like piss off somebody in the in the panel or something? I have no idea. Oh. She's always <laughs> been fairly outspoken, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Olivia Coleman was good. Was very good in the favorite. I can't really argue with it, but I just assumed that Glenn Close would would finally get one. I guess she's gonna have to play some dead English queen to get to get a uh, to get an award because that uh, that seems to be the the secret formula for best actress out there is to play Queen Elizabeth the first or uh, Queen Anne. Oh, is that what that uh, that movie's about? The royal family. Yeah, the the favorite is Olivia Coleman as Queen Anne, and it's uh, do I want to sleep with Rachel Weisz or do I want to sleep with Emma Stone? Basically, basically. <laughs> which one am I going to choose? That's kind of uh, no. It's it's actually it's a really good movie and funny in a lot of you know, surprisingly funny for a period piece, but it's definitely a good a good movie. But yeah, so the you know the, like I said, no host, and it seemed like it went uh, award speech song, award speech song, just all night, bang bang bang, and I think it worked a lot better than having somebody painfully try to do some skits in between each oh, thing. Yeah. It actually ended at eleven thirty, so which is eleven thirty Eastern time. Uh, what is that? Uh, Eight thirty for you out there, which is um, mm-hmm. kind of unheard of. It was about three yeah. hours long. It's usually four. And, and Johnny Carson had a famous line the very first time, and in, in, I think it was seventy three, no seventy nine. I think it was when he fo- hosted the Oscars for the first time. He came out, and his first joke was, "Welcome to the fifty first Oscars, or whatever it was." Uh, two hours of entertainment stretched over four. <laughs> oh my gosh that's funny but yeah so it, it uh you know i think they did a, a really good job with it i was fairly pleased with most of the wins there were a couple ways i would have gone a little bit differently but i was happy to win my oscar pool so that was good that's awesome uh, a couple more stories that i found mike that i think are interesting I know you're a fan of the Candyman movie, aren't you? 
Uh, the first one, I didn't see, like, I don't think I saw A Fair Roll of Flesh, I think it was the second one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Tony Todd, uh, friend of the show, Tony Todd, who, who responded to me one time on Twitter, which is why he's a friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Peele is rebooting the Candyman. And he has found his new Candyman, uh, an actor named Yaha Abdul Mateen II, who was in Aquaman. And so they, I don't like, uh, I just, I don't understand. The Candyman is such a good movie. I don't know why. I mean, Jordan Peele, I will trust him because Get Out was fantastic. And I'm excited to see Us, which is coming out next month. Yeah, I don't know. I feel almost that he's doing too much right now because, like, every time I see any like new like movie or something, it's like produced by Jordan Peele, yep. you know, or uh, directed by Jordan. It's like, I mean, I mean, if you do them all at the same level, that's one thing. But I mean, I guess it remains to be seen what exactly you know the quality will be affected by you know his. Yeah, it's worth noting that so far he's besides the Key and Peele and stuff like that, uh, which I haven't really seen. But as far as movies go. He's made one good movie, uh, Get Out. I mean, it's the only movie he's made. But, you know, he's one for one. But it it's, remains to be seen whether he can keep that up. Us will tell us a lot about his output. But, yeah, he's producing and hosting the Twilight Zone reboot that's going to be on CBS All Access. That's that- a shame because I don't thought I'd ever watch that because I don't, I don't know. Do you have to pay for CBS All Access? Yeah. I think it's like yeah, five dollars, something not. like that. No, I know I'm yeah, not. I don't want to get a, to I don't want to get another streaming service either. So I'm probably not going to see it either, unless I find some way to see it online, uh, which I suppose is always possible. But um, <laughs> especially with a sinister laugh like that. <laughs> but uh, well, I'll just say that I saw most of the the pictures nominated for the Oscars in DVD quality, uh, not in a theater. So. You're I'm the just... person they make those commercials about, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. But I uh, know the designer the... uh, is living in a box outside <laughs> because you got to. Now these are all jokes. So I obviously don't in, in, you know, engage in any sort of illegal activity like that. I support creators wholeheartedly even when i'm just doing it for my job and i don't like to go to the theater um but anyway so rebooting this this film i just i don't know he's not going to direct it i don't believe i think he is going to is he's producing it and i think he has a hand in writing it so yeah, I, don't, I mean is he really the best producer out there is that why he's being on the, all these movies i mean i think it's like the quentin tarantino kind of effect where there's a slew of movies that are like, you know, produced by Quentin Tarantino and it's like the most sub quality of like movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see, I don't know. Cause I don't, uh, I don't really know what his track record is as far as producing goes, but um, I, you know, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what he has in store for us. Like I said, I like get out a lot and I obviously I'm not the only one because a lot of people in Hollywood have, have certainly taken notice of him and hired him for several projects and i suppose he's striking while the iron is is hot which is probably smart although as you said i don't know if he's trying to do too much too quickly but uh, we'll see in the you know in the coming months whether us is good and whether this new twilight zone i you know that i've never seen 
a Twilight Zone series that comes even close to the brilliance of the original Twilight Zone. I know, Mike, you're a big fan of the Twilight Zone too. Savvy, have you ever um, have you ever watched any of the original Twilight Zone with Rod Serling? Yes, yes, definite creepy factor awesomeness. Yeah, and I've just you know I know they've tried to reboot it a couple times. Uh, once in the eighties, I think, and once in the early two thousands, and I've just never found one that was even close to the magic of the, of the original. See, I, I actually like the. I actually like the Forrest Whitaker hosted one. Like there were some pretty good episodes on that one. Mm-hmm. I've only seen like two episodes of the series from the eighties. Uh, the oh no, the one one of them was pretty good. The other one was just kind of okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's again. I, we've discussed this many times. Why even call it the same thing? I mean, it's just doesn't. I mean, why not call it Black Mirror America? You know, I mean, it, it's it's there's no connection to the original series. It's you know, yeah. just somebody hosting an anthology series. That's all it is. Well, I think the reason is because CBS owns it, and uh, and they want to play on that name recognition. The name recognition, yeah, but, but it's just dumb, I mean. But yeah, but bringing up Black Mirror, Black Mirror is the only one that, and obviously it's not the Twilight Zone, but it's a Twilight Zone-esque show, and that's the only, I like Black Mirror a lot, that's the only one that I've ever seen that, that comes close to the original Twilight Zone. Savvy, have you ever seen Black Mirror? No, I haven't. I was just going to add sort of on top of this. Um, I believe they got bought out by Disney some year, years back. And also they just Disney just bought Fox. So that could have a, they could be revamping some things. Anyway, oh, yeah. I just thought I'd. Yeah, that. Fox, but no, I have not. That Fox deal with Disney is going to be. Uh, ugh, when that when that gets finalized, they're, they're going to be an enormous corporation it's gonna be like beach blanket bingo like everything's <laughs> gonna be like really milk toast like it was in the 60s just kidding maybe i hope not but that's but that'll make our shows even better because everybody will want to listen to us instead <laughs> right exactly yeah i'm yeah. looking forward to years and years of bland entertainment <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the fear like a you know because deadpool is a fox property so obviously that's coming over and going to be taken over by disney and the big fear is they're going to neuter that and some of <laughs> some of the That's other perfect. Yeah. Put Annette Funicello I, back on. No. I hope they. Uh, I hope they ruin all the franchises and the uh, studio is out of business. Ruin all the franchises. Under, That's so awesome. I don't have to be subject to that shit anymore. Yeah, Mike is a big. And they're making remakes of cartoons at this point. What the fuck? That's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they tried to redo Coward uh, Courage of the Cowardly Dog. Um, they could never redo that cartoon. Right. That's what you think. I'm, I'm uh, waiting for the. I'm waiting wait for till the your childhood is uh, exploited for uh, <laughs> terrible movies. Yeah. Very Speaking of terrible idea remakes, uh, the, apparently Fox Searchlight is remaking Sleeping with the Enemy. You remember that film, Mike, from uh, 1991, the Julia Roberts uh, psychological thriller? Yeah, the one that uh, the plot is so original and uh, you know the movie is so unique. And it's just begging for a remake. <laughs> Never once have I seen a movie about a woman whose husband was uh, obsessive about her. Right. What a unique that's a, that's, original that's, idea. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, for they some should reason, make a movie about a guy who's wrongfully accused next. <laughs> oh, that was a good twist. For some reason, they, uh, they've decided 
that they're going to remake this film. Obviously, it was a big success in 1991. It grossed 101 million dollars, which was a lot of money. Oh, wow. I didn't know. It. Who was who was the the guy? Do you remember? Was it just kind of like some random guy? Yeah, I don't know if it was anybody that had any kind of career after that. I'll tell you in a second. There's so many movies like this. There's a movie Enough with Jennifer Lopez. It's basically the exact same movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Double Jeopardy is kind yeah, of like that. that. Oh my god! One time I was I can't remember what I was playing at the time, and Double Jeopardy was another one of the movies. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to just like you know I have my heart set on seeing this one movie. This guy came out of the movie. The stops and goes, "Oh man, are you gonna go see Double Jeopardy?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "Oh, you gotta see it. It's the best movie ever." <laughs> so I went and saw it, and that man was a liar. <laughs> it was a fucking terrible movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Patrick Connolly Bergen is the uh, name of the the other lead in Sleeping with the Enemy. He was an Irish actor known for Sleeping with the Enemy, and also as Aidan McGuire on the BBC soap opera EastEnders. I heard that I've heard that name before. It's probably a pretty popular show. Yeah, I think that's a, a popular one across the pond, as they say. Uh, but. No no word on who is going to take Julia Roberts' place in the uh in the movie, but one of the producers is the producer Emma, I'm calling it now Emma Stone. She's got red hair. Bam. <laughs> you know, that's not that's actually that's not a bad idea. I mean, you're thinking like a Hollywood producer now. Then then she'll finally win the Oscar she's been trying to win for the past few years. She won for La La Land. I didn't count that one. <laughs> Feel a musical should be nominated for Best Picture. Well, yeah, that they La La Land, of course, famously won Best Picture for five seconds uh, before they before they realized they'd made a mistake, and then it went to Moonlight. That was a, a hell of an Oscar ceremony to watch. Because they did you, you did you even hear about that one, Mike? Yeah, it was very around that time. There's a lot of like mass confusion in the media like mm-hmm. i don't know what was going on then like the whole like thing with steve harvey where he just yep. called the wrong per- what what are the odds that you know that would happen like twice in like a two or three year span it was just nuts yeah it's like you could see if you look at it again you can see the confusion on warren Beatty's face as he opens the envelope because what happened is they gave that for some reason they gave him the wrong envelope they gave him the best actress envelope and that's emma stone one for that movie and he opens it, and he looks, and he kind of he looks at Faye Dunaway that was who was up there with him, and then he looks again, and she's like, "Oh, you're being silly. Come on, just read it." And then he like hands it to her, and she goes, "La La Land." She just like, <laughs> but it said on there, it says Emma Stone, La La Land, and she just looks at it and she goes, "Oh, La La Land." So they come up and they start giving their speeches and everything, and then um. And then uh, in the middle of it, one of the producers comes out, starts talking to the producers of La La Land. You can see the dejected look on their face. And then the producer, the producer of La La Land, the head one, or no, the director, Damien uh, Chazelle, he comes to the microphone and he's like, uh, he's like Moon, he's like Moonlight. He's like, there's been a mistake, Moonlight. You guys have won Best Picture. Come up here. And they thought he was joking. And then oh he, he eventually he shows the envelope because they got, gave him the right envelope and says, no, you know, Moonlight won. And so then they they gave him that one. And it was just, yeah, it was it was oh. nuts. Oh, my gosh. That'd be a great like, conspiracy theory to uh, make up. Yeah, exactly. The um, 
Mike, your dog wants to uh, <laughs> wants to give us uh, um, wants to give us stories for the podcast. Oh, I just have cats. Oh no, um, <laughs> oh, there's a dog, dog outside barking. Let oh, me okay. mute my microphone. Sorry, it's no, not my no, dog. It's just a neighbor. Hold no, on. You're fine. We want more content. The dog's just pr- trying to provide content for us. But one time, uh, one of the cats <laughs> almost meowed on Mike, and I would have been so happy, but he he stopped at the last minute. It's pretty upsetting. <laughs> The one, the one story that I have that I think might interest you is Universal has announced uh, the re- DVD release date and the Blu-ray release date and all that stuff for Glass. And what? Oh, nice! It, I was thinking about that earlier. That I I would like to watch it. Yeah, that was definitely a good film. Uh, let me see if I can find the date on here. But uh, the bo- they've got the bonus features. So the bonus features. Uh, they're going to look at the main characters, you know, each one. Of the oh, I, I couldn't care less about bonus features. <laughs> really? Like, what What about, uh, we used to yeah, listen to those audio, audio commentaries. An audio, an audio commentary, yeah, some of them, depending on who it is. No, I could probably listen to almost any audio commentary, but yeah, like the extra like behind-the-scenes stuff, I just could not care less. Remember the in the uh, early 2000s when every DVD had some kind of weird Easter egg bonus feature that you could uh, that you could find if you if you pointed the arrows on the the controller in the yeah, right yeah, directions yeah. or something, like that, you'd find some weird secret thing, and then it was always the stupidest thing in the world. It was just like, uh, hey, yeah, they were never. Good. Look at every uh, look at every stop sign that was damaged in the filming of this film, <laughs> and it would just right, be right. it would just be clips of of them running into stop signs or something like that. Look at this intern returning our order from uh, Panera Bread. Isn't that a big order? <laughs> but just like uh, just like a camera set there, just watching everybody eat slowly. So Glass will be coming to digital on April 2nd, and then two weeks later, as they always do, uh, it seems, with the streaming and deep Blu-ray stuff now, it will be on Blu-ray April 16th. So, Man, I haven't had a physical form of media for the longest time at this mm-hmm. point. I can't tell you the last time, except for books. I, I don't really care for um, e-books that much. Right. But, like, I couldn't tell you the last time. I No, no, actually, this is ridiculous. And uh, if my wife is listening, uh, please tune out because I don't want you to yell at me about this part. Um, I listen to this podcast called uh, The Wild Eye. It's about this game I play called uh, Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. And so I really like the show, you know, and like I like to, like, you know, like you, I like to support people, you know, that I listen to and that kind of stuff. Right. So, like, he released like a, a role playing like setting, you know, a few weeks ago. It was like $3. So I bought it, you know. But he actually does like music too. And it's kind of neat. It's like, like a good, like, atmospheric music. It's like, I can't remember what it's called. It's like, dungeon crawl or some weird it's i can't remember what it's called. dungeon sense something like that okay but and this makes no sense whatsoever but he uh he made a kiss like he's oh uh, he's got like this he's on this label or they're releasing some of his music on it mm-hmm. and uh so they released uh f- only 30 copies of this and it's in cassette form which i don't own a cassette player it just doesn't make any sense for me to even purchase this other than the sports guy right so yeah, uh, in a few weeks, months, I don't know, I'll have a cassette tape in the mail from uh, England. And it was like $10. It wasn't like ridiculous, but it's like, I might as well just throw it in the fucking garbage. You know, it's not going to do anything with it. You could put it on your collector mount and put it on the wall. Well, actually I could, but no, the thing is, I, he already released the music digitally, you know, so if I want to listen to it, I just have to do that. Okay. But it's like, you know, whatever, it's, it's got a cool cover and stuff, and it's just kind of weird, but that's like the last... I can't anticipate really ever buying another form of media aside from like video games or 
as mentioned before, books. But even video games, you could like download a lot of those nowadays. No. Right. Well, uh, that is all the news I have for today. Uh, so I guess we'll move on to what we're watching. Mike, what have you been watching this week? Anything interesting? Oh, this is going to blow your mind. I've watched like three different movies this week. Two of them, really? uh, two of them back to back, actually. Um, as usual, I've been watching the hot ones in uh, Frankenstein's Lab. That's what it's called. Oh my god, I love that show. I've been watching a lot of that. Just mm-hmm. like it's the simplest like concept. It's two guys just watching like you know funny clips and stuff and reacting. Mm-hmm. It's it's just just fun. They're like they're you know they have a lot of personality. They're hilarious. You know they they make funny comments. It's just fun to watch. I didn't watch the most recent hot ones yet. Um, I might do that after the show. Actually, who's on it? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. But I think it's two people I don't really care for. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's uh, the two. Uh, I can't remember their names. I think it's the two guys who used to do this Vice show like once a day. Like they did a show on Vice TV, you know? I just can't remember their names. I never saw it. It just didn't look very interesting to me. Okay. And plus, I prefer it as one guest. I don't know why. It's just, uh, just something I like better on that show. Um, last Thursday, I actually went to the theater and. In 3D, nonetheless, uh, my wife and our two kids and I uh, saw the Lego Movie Part Two. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen it yet. I I really enjoyed it. There were a lot of really like hilarious parts. Uh, you know, like there were like a lot of references to other you know things that you know, like the other Lego Movie, and there was like actually like just even more meta references than that. You know, it's 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 just a fun movie, and it actually like for the first time I saw a movie in 3D that seemed to be enhanced by the 3D. Okay. The only other movie I've seen in 3D is they did the uh, the Lion King. They re-released it in 3D, mm-hmm. but you know it wasn't originally done in 3D. So they just like I don't know. It's like they put like another fucking like frame like half an inch over in a different color or something. Yeah, I have no you know, idea how they do it. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not great. It's just like it kind of looks like it's not. It's not made for that or anything. But this movie, you know, like at certain points, you know, and it's not like in the old like. Uh, do you remember like back in like the early '90s or so? You'd be watching like uh, TV and they'd have like, oh, everyone, they're giving away three free 3D glasses for this Friday. The whole entire you know lineup will be in 3D. Yep, I remember that. And it was just terrible. Like the glass, it just it was. They every so often be like, "Oh, look, I'm going to throw this ball," and it'd be like at the camera, you know. So I'm like, "Oh, wow, that's cool." It was, it was the, like really. It was always the most out of place thing. Like it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was never part of the story. It was just no, like, not at all. "Oh, let's do this for 3D," and it was the shittiest exactly. looking 3D. Yep. Yeah. But in this one, they actually did like it. They had stuff that did pop out of you, but it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like ham fisted like that. Mm-hmm. So it was actually really like kind of neat. And it was like every so often they'd be like, "Oh, okay," it's, it's it just seemed like natural to the plot. Of movie but i i thought it was really good i like that movie maybe we'll do uh maybe that'll be our next episode i'll go out with the kids and watch that and then uh, we can talk about that yeah that's not a bad idea i think i I think the lego batman movie i might have seen in 3d as well because during i don't know if you've seen that one i I, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit too but during the opening part where they get on top of the plane and like they like you know are like going above it like i got a really bad like you know like a bad like vertigo like sensation kind of thing and like I think that's because it was in 3D, but I I don't know I'm really weird with heights sometimes. So yeah, me too. I, I don't like them. Um, what are the, what yesterday. other movies did you watch? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and then yesterday, um, I saw um, it was uh, the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Get Him to the Greek with uh, Jonah Hill and Russell Brand? No, but I, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I saw that one. It was it was pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's a isn't it a spinoff to? I think it's a spinoff to. Oh, geez, forgetting, forgetting Sarah, Marshall. Sarah Marshall. Yep. Yeah, and they'll say they were. It's like the same character, I think. Yeah. But, uh, I think it came out after that movie. 
but it's a pretty fun movie. It's like a, it's pretty consistently good. You know, there's not really a lot of part, there's not really many parts at all I can think of that are like kind of like, oh, okay, I'm gonna skip this part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then well, right I dated after, I dated a rock star, and, and it's pretty consistent. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> can you name it's, names? It's... Uh, well, I mean, he was on uh, Oleander, been on a couple of bands. Okay, I don't know if I can name his name right now. Yeah, he's played with a couple of big bands, but so that's cool. Yeah, I don't know if I'll tell you. Well, probably not on there, but okay. Anyway. Hit me up later. I'm going <laughs> to mute right. my microphone because the neighbor's dog is barking and barking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, uh, but then right after that, The Hangover was on. And I, I saw The Hangover all, you know years and years ago. And I was like, yeah. But I started watching it like, from the beginning this time. Mm-hmm. But I actually kind of watched it too because I actually I forgot to mention this on the news. Uh, comedian uh, Brody Stevens passed away this oh, week. Oh, yep. I forgot to mention and, that too. Yeah, and he's in The Hangover. As he was more than happy to tell everybody, he was in The Hangover 1, <laughs> Hangover 2, Hangover 3, his part got cut. <laughs> Yeah, that's just he's a hilarious comedian. If you look him up, you know, it's definitely worth a look. Yeah, his stand up is great. Yeah, he's just an interesting guy in general. I saw like there's like a limited like series on Comedy Central bottom. It was called Enjoy Yourself, I think. Okay, that was pardon me, pretty entertaining. It was like an interesting look into like a just like you know, like a unique person for sure. Um, but so I watched it until that part, and I'm like, oh, this is actually a lot better than I remembered, which I was shocked by, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought it would be, like, you know, even worse than I remembered. Um, but it wasn't that bad, so I watched it all the way through, and uh, Ken Jong is, like, really great in that movie. I didn't realize how funny he was. He is very funny I, in that film. I think what happens is I saw the second movie, and it wasn't good, and then so I just kind of, like, you know, melt the two together, and then just kind of, like, average it out in my head. So it's like, yeah, it's like a 70% movie. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think... I feel like that Todd Phillips trolled the studio with the second and third movie because I know he made the first movie and he didn't want to make the other movies, but I think he was under contract or something like that. And they were basically like, we need you to make a sequel to this movie because it did so well. So he did the second one and I'm trying to remember what order it goes in. If the second one's the one that's just like really out there, if that's the third one, I think the second one's the one that's just like completely just Thailand or Vietnam or something. Yeah. And I feel like he was just like, I'm just going to screw everyone over. Like he's like, I'm just going to make the most outlandish, terrible, disgusting film that I can think of. And so that's like what he did for the second one. And then the third one, you know, they, there were a lot of studio notes and I think it's more of basically just kind of a, you know what? What sequels used to be, where it's basically the like same squeeze, movie over again. Whatever you can, like squeeze as much as you can out of it. Yeah, this is you know this uh, gravy train is going off the rails. Exactly, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I feel that if there was only the first movie, it would definitely would I'd have a much better memory, you know, and fondness for the movie because the first one was really good. But it's like just why you make, I hate like sequels for the most part just cheapen the original movie in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I hate, However, I, one of my favorite movies is Aliens, which is a sequel, so I can't really say too much. Yeah, well, I mean, with Aliens, they had they at least had something to go on, basically. And, you know, it's it's James Cameron instead of Ridley Scott, so it's a, it's a very different take. In I, I kind of, even though I don't like Alien 3 that much, or, or any of the other Alien movies besides the first two, uh, I do sort of appreciate how it's it's... Like, it's a different director basically taking on kind of the same type of story 
uh, each, yeah, I think that's really time. interesting when it's almost like a different genre, you know, like somebody covering a song, like it's not, they're not doing a note by note cover. They're trying like, you know, it's like a different genre of music almost yep. where, you know, Ridley uh, Scott is in a lot of ways like more cerebral and like his like scares are more like, you know, they slowly tease him out. But James Cameron like has like the perfect instinct to go like way over the top and make it like, you know, so much more exciting. and fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And what I hate is when they make sequels, just to make more money for for no other reason other than hey this movie did really well let's make another one uh when they actually have a plan then it seems to like with the godfather 2 for instance oh like, yeah i mean that's, that's i mean was that i i never read have you read the original books i, I read the first one yeah is all the stuff in one book that they just stretch it out to two movies or is it just because uh, it looks like they were done almost like right after each other they must have came out pretty quickly in succession because the characters look all the same there's a lot of stuff in in the godfather 2 in the first godfather book where they they go okay. they do a lot of the the past in that book so so yes to answer your question yeah like they uh they follow the more linear you know what's going on right now storyline of the first book but when they did the second movie they leaned heavily on a lot of the the you know the like setup the backstory and stuff like that that's in the the, the first book oh let's go yeah because uh i i read like oh my gosh i don't even know which one it was in the series like i started to read like one of the sequels not by uh, mario puzo and i don't know what the fuck is even going on it's like, <laughs> it's like ghost is there like yeah. like seriously like what are the it's like you're a ghost I'm, I'm, why am I? I read like maybe maybe like ten pages and I'm done with the book. It's just it's so ridiculous. Ooh, the, the, family, the Godfather with a ghost. I bet, I bet this one has a goddamn ghost in it. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Oh, savvy. Have you have you seen anything uh, recently that uh, you want to share with the people? Uh, I wish I could say I did. I'm just busy being a single mom and um, doing the radio stuff and now TV stuff, so mm. I haven't. But I've been talking to TV producers about my show and stuff like that, so I guess That's I can give that, that insight. So, yeah, my homework is to watch some actual network shows on TLC and Discovery and all that to better the show that i have like launching right now so it's kind of exciting so that's that's all i have to report unfortunately but but actually fortunately because a lot of people would love to be in the position i'm in so it's actually cool but anyway sorry i don't have anything to contribute on watching stuff lately <laughs> maybe maybe you'll be on uh what, what one of our segments of what you're watching pretty soon yeah um like tlc or uh, i don't think discovery you know one of the network channels for sure um, I'm talking to some TV producers right now, but um, anyway, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep everybody updated. Um, my thing that I like to watch is I like to watch YouTube, like reality people, because mm -hmm. that to me is really entertaining. I guess I have a a bent for reality TV, and you know, I don't know, it's just interesting to me. I like to watch people like build stuff. Like, there's a YouTube video of a 12 year old boy that built a tiny home. I think okay. his dad or mom or somebody was involved because. The specs on that house were just so perfect. I'm like, um, it's possible a 12 year old could do that. Like, but anyway, I digress. Like, yeah, it's, I it's, I get really I love like watching people build stuff and make stuff. Um, yeah, it's really easy. That's to like suck my favorite. Shows. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's like entertaining for me, like genuine organic or Becky's homestead. This is a kind of a funny show. Um, she like, will tell you like which chickens are the quietest and how to, how to get property for free. Um, how to get land for free or how to pick your land. She did her research, like, but she's really funny because she goes, this is Becky's homestead. And I like showed my sister the show and she really talks like this, but she has a great show. <laughs> she did her homework. I don't know. She's probably in her fifties and I don't think she's in her sixties, but she has done her homework and she's got like quite a big following now and kudos to her. Cause it's like super cool. Um, so I like to watch stuff like that. Um, just homesteading stuff, like how to install your own solar panels. I don't know. Maybe I'm like a handy girl at heart, but I mean, that's kind of the stuff I like to watch. I guess it's useful. Not that I don't love entertainment. I just have a propensity to watching like the educational or the real life stuff, but everybody's different. And, you know, if I had more time not being a single mom, I probably would watch more entertaining stuff. But, um, those a lot of the series take a lot of commitment to start watching. Oh yeah. I, I don't know that I could get into like game of Thrones because I just don't have the time, but I would love to like, you know, get into all that stuff, but there will come a day when I can. So that's my short, but long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, if I start a reality show, it's going to get worse because the filming schedule is going to get really crazy, but oh, yeah. Hey, that'll be cool. It'll be all right. The, uh, I've been going back to the past uh, this week. I've been real busy with, with work uh, putting together cause we're putting together our podcast network. We've got a lot of cool new podcasts on board. You guys will be hearing commercials for those coming up soon. We'll, uh, we'll all be playing commercials for each other and there will be a lot that you guys can check out. Go to, we have a new Twitter, go to uh, MSC network or at MSC network on Twitter. And that will be the, the podcast or the um, Twitter account for our podcast network. Once we get that built up, obviously we'll still connect with you guys through our own Twitter account and the main Twitter account for Michigan sports and entertainment. will connect with you through there as well, but that'll be kind of the new hub for all the different podcasts that are coming on board. So that's really exciting. So I haven't had a, a time to watch, a ton of stuff, but I, I have been watching Saint Elsewhere. That's uh, a show for, that ran from 1982 to 1987, and it's one. Yeah, I've seen of, you've been. I've seen you tweeting about that quite a bit lately. <laughs> yes, i I started live. I started live tweeting myself watching it on <laughs> on Hulu, and it was all. It was almost by accident. It, it, this is one of those shows that I remember my parents watching when I was a kid, but I was so young that I don't really remember the show. I just kind of remember that it was on, and I remember the theme song. So. I started, I discovered it on Hulu and I started watching it. And I noticed in the very first episode that Colin Quinn, Mike, your your friend and mine, Colin Quinn, was uh, in the first episode as... <laughs> he is? Yeah, it just like, he's not even a guest star or anything. This is obviously... He only looks like he's 50 in that, I bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does look <laughs> almost exactly the same. <laughs> but, but it's... Uh, it's one of those things where he plays a janitor. He's fixing a light. So he's on he's on the screen for maybe five seconds, but he does have a line. 
and you can barely see his face, but there is no mistaking his, his voice. And so I, I knew it was him, so I tweeted that out. And then Lorraine Newman from Saturday Night Live guest starred in this, I think it was the second episode. Oh, I love her. And she had this line, she was playing, because there's a psych ward in this hospital too. And the actually W.G. Bailey, who was the bad guy in the Police Academy movies, he, he, play, he, he plays the, the guy, the, the psychiatrist. And so, so he's talking <laughs> to her about stuff, and she's, she's giving this crazy backstory of her life, and she says that she dated Marlon Brando at one point. And then she says the line, Marlon Brando likes dark women because he can't see them. Oh. And I just, thought, I just thought, oh my god, I just thought that was both hilarious and obviously something that would never be on network TV. That's it, like a bombshell, right? So, so I tweeted that out. You know, I tweeted out the quotes and I tweeted it to Lorraine Newman, and I said Lorraine Newman as this character on the second episode of Saying Elsewhere. And then I just kind of realized I was live tweeting what I was watching. So I, so I wrote, <laughs> I guess I'm live tweeting me watching St. Elsewhere now. So that's happening. And then I just started <laughs> tweeting about like basically anything that, uh, that caught my mind or caught my attention. But Doris Roberts from Everybody Loves Raymond was a guest star. Uh, the girl that plays Berta in Two and a Half Men was, oh, yeah. was on there. Ray Liotta, a very young Ray Liotta played a gang member as a guest star. Oh so I'm listing all these people that were on there. And I was like, St. Elsewhere's guest star game was strong as hell. <laughs> yeah. True enough. Some shows like that don't seem like they were like huge, you know, like popular shows. will just have like the most insane, like guest lists, like mm-hmm. um, the X-Files in their early seasons. Like they have like a lot of people who went on to become like pretty famous. after that. Yeah. And a, a pre-famous, just starting out, uh, Denzel Washington is a regular member of the cast of St. Elsewhere. So, and, and Howie Mandel was on the show, Ed Begley Jr., William Daniels, who played Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World. These were all regular members of the cast. And so, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people that went on to Mark Harmon. Uh, will appear in the second season. Ooh, I know. I'm my not... my dad went to school with Mark Harmon. Oh, did he? You, yeah, UCLA, to... I think. Yeah, he went. To, it was one of the schools in LA. Oh my gosh, I can't remember. I, if, I, I can't knew, remember if he went to UC, USC it or was, UCLA. It was like Harvard. Some, but anyway, it's not the Harvard College, the Ivy League. It was a. I believe it was just the Harvard. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was the name of it. But forgive me. I'll find out and put it in a post of mine because I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, he, he knew from school. Famous, he played for the football team, and he ran the wishbone offense, which uh, does not really get run anymore. But his he has a Michigan connection because his father, Tom Harmon, won the Heisman Trophy for the University of Michigan when, when he played football here. Oh, my gosh. I should totally, like, throw that out there. My mom's been trying to get my dad get back in touch with Mark Harmon for, like, the longest time, and my dad is, like, reticent for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. See, uh, yeah. see if you guys see if you can get a connection. We want him on the show. I want to talk <laughs> about Saint Elsewhere with him. I totally will because uh, my dad's name is Ken Schmidt. Okay, and I will reach out as Savvy Schmidt, which is short for Savannah. Savvy's a nickname, but I will totally reach out and see if I can make that happen because it would be super cool. Ken, if you're if you're listening, uh, 
I'll watch. I'll watch any uh, Tom Harmon football games with you, or or whatever Mark you want to do. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's super cool. Um, but yeah, so that's what what I've been watching mostly and live tweeting about it. I'll probably do that later in the week too. So go to Massively Fee on Twitter if you want to um, if you want to uh, follow along with me with me watching a. 40, almost 40 year old program on Hulu. Uh, oh, wow. That is, that is that old. That's pretty good. That is a long time. Yeah. I'll have my popcorn yeah. and chocolate. <laughs> but uh, this week, Mike, since we're talking about 80s comedies, I decided that I was going to find an 80s film, sort of a comedy, although the, the second one's more of a comedy. The first one's more of a drama, uh, but comedy drama, I suppose. But this is a classic 80s film that I don't think think you've seen uh it stars it stars uh lucinda dickey shabadoo boogaloo shrimp (laughs) ben loki phineas newborn the (laughs) third and a surprise guest that we'll get to in a minute but it is the 1984 film breaking about uh break dancing i've seen the sequel but not the first one So here is the plot to Breaking. Protagonist Kelly Bennett. I like that they that they point out that she's the protagonist and and they start with the protagonist as if that's a novel thing. Protagonist Kelly Bennett, Lucinda Dickey, is a young dancer training under the supervision of a traditionalist choreographer, Franco. Though uh, through her friend Adam, Kelly is introduced to two street dancers, Ozone, played by Adolfo Shabadoo Quin- Quindones, <laughs> and, Tur- and Turbo, Michael oh Boogaloo Shrimp Kate Chambers, on the boardwalk at Venice Beach. Kelly becomes enamored with their dancing and becomes friendly with the men, <clears throat> dancing and talking with them. So I'm glad that they... That they clarified what they oh meant God. by being You know what? Friend. I wanna I wanna find out who the producer was for this because I wanna like actually interview them on how they thought that giving their people these names would help because I'm genuinely interested. And I think the audience would be also interested. Well the producers are Alan uh Debo- Debevosi and David mm-hmm. Zito. Sweet. Send them to me like on a a thing so I know how to spell that because I'm yep. totally reaching out because that's a show. <laughs> yeah, I will send. I will definitely send that to you. Oh my gosh! Uh, where am I? Uh, so Kelly, let's see. Kelly becomes enamored with their dancing and becomes friendly with the men, dancing and talking with them. Eventually, after dancing together, the three form a team. I guess a dance team. They don't really specify. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, it's they're, a squash uh, they're team. a dance team. Uh, a TKO Productions is their name of their company in the second one. <laughs> I can see the half shirts, half shirts and leg warm. Kelly eventually leaves her studio as her choreographer does not respect breakdancing and makes unwanted advances towards her. I like how they frame that as if those two things are equal. Oh my God. (laughs) He, he tried to rape me and he doesn't like breakdancing. What's that strip movie that has like the girl from Showgirls? Oh, what is yeah? Um, Elizabeth Berkeley from um, yes. Saved by the Bell. Saved by the that Bell. was the cheesiest. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that kind of like reminds me of that. 
Later, Kelly attends a dance audition and is shut down by harsh directors. Kelly then wanders <laughs> Kelly then wanders to a break dancing event where she finds Ozone and Turbo wanders. in the midst of a dance battle that they eventually lose against rivals Electro Rock. Ozone is very defeated and consoled by Kelly, and she convinces him and Turbo to enter a dance competition. I like that, that she convinces them to enter a dance competition right after watching them lose. <laughs> So this is who I'm this is who I'm gonna hitch my star to. Kelly's agent friend James, Mike, played by the great Christopher McDonald. You, re- oh, wow. you recognize <laughs> that, name? that one. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to see just what he looks like in that one. Yeah, no. The kidding. great shooter McGavin. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Dennis Mitchell's father oh, in the uh, Dennis and Menace yep. movie. Uh and and in uh Dirty Work too. He plays the villain in Dirty Work. Anyway, so Kelly's uh, agent friend James, Christopher McDonald, sees what the group can do and agrees to back them. What they can do, lose? (laughs) However, the group is technically not allowed to perform in the dance audition because they only want, quote, respected forms of dance. Kelly and the crew dress up in black tie clothes to fool the judges and then start their audition. When the judges see their breakdancing, they are initially shocked and disapproving. I can just see this, like, the the 80s stuffiness where they're just crossing their arms and shaking their heads. <laughs> and there's no buzzers. <laughs> right. <laughs> However, the three eventually win over the judges and are chosen for, for from the audition. The group goes on to be popular, remain friends, and dance in the community. So it's a, uh, it's a happy ending. Uh, obviously, Mike, as, as you intimated, this is followed by maybe the most famous title in 80s history, Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> See, I feel that the, the girl oh. in that name was Kate, so I wonder if they switched uh, her out and kept uh, the real talent, uh, Turbo and Ozone. No, it's still it's still <laughs> Kelly. It's still the, according to this, it's still the three the three main characters. Kelly. Yeah, I, I must have completely misremembered the name. That's weird. <laughs> So Breaking 2 features three characters from Breaking, Kelly, Orlando, Ozone, Barco, and Tony Turbo Ainley, who struggle to stop the demolition of a community recreation center by a developer who wants to build a shopping mall. Victor Manuel... I guess a rec centers in the 80s were in a huge danger all, all over the place. Yes, they were They were in danger of being destroyed constantly. Ice- Second only to summer camps. <laughs> yes. Ice T is in this film too, apparently. He is. That's what it says. I don't remember that at all. He's a dancer, so I'm guessing he's maybe the, a background dancer. I guess the entire uh, the entire movie Breaking Two is just a very thinly veiled uh, plot wrapped around just these elaborate, ridiculous dance sequences. Now here's uh, because that the Breaking Two plot summary is not very long, and I couldn't really find a long one. I'm going to read a, a user review. That was posted on September 9th, 2002, so almost the one-year anniversary of September 11th. Never forget. Um, For Breaking to Electric Boogaloo. He just had to get the review out. Yep, exactly. He thought he'd give a a year of uh, mourning, you know? (laughs) Just, you know, out of respect. But there's like, ah, there's two days left. No, don't give a shit. (laughs) He couldn't make it. (laughs) Here's the title of this review. Off the Heezy. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Let's get one thing straight. If you haven't lived the hip-hop lifestyle, you cannot properly judge this movie in any negative manner. 
I was Ooh. I was a teenager in the mid '80s and danced (parentheses electric boogie) in the streets and roller rinks of New York for four plus years. I went to L.A. when I was 16. I'd like to point out that uh, that means then he started when he was not a teenager. He had to start when he was at least when he was at most 12. <laughs> if he if he danced for four years and then moved to L.A. when he was 16. Uh, I went to L.A. when I was 16 and battled other dancers on Venice Beach, which was the mecca of electric boogie street dancers. This movie was... I feel that New York was a bigger uh, breakdancing center. I agree. I I think that he left because of the competition. I think... He didn't have the stones. I think the competition was too tough for him. (laughs) He wanted to make a triumphant return at one point, but... (laughs) He just let that rec center get bulldozed over. His life was breaking three. <laughs> my my dad did it like this back in the eighties. <laughs> this movie was the best of its kind. Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers was arguably the best in the craft and shined in both this movie and its predecessor. Don't view this movie looking for a wealth of incredible acting. Why would you Why would you look for that when you watch a movie? <laughs> Honey, what do you want to watch? Sophie's Choice, or uh, well, this uh, this breakdancing movie that's got good reviews. Oh my gosh, the but, technical part of me is like he's so short. If his name is Shrimp, they have a lower center of gravity, so he can probably do better moves. Sorry, right? I just <laughs> I'm being a maybe, nerd. <laughs> maybe we really do need to grow up with a hip hop lifestyle to appreciate this movie. Yeah, it's possible. But do watch it for some amazing street dancing and a very likable cast with a good storyline. I loved this movie and still do. There's like a 20-minute sequence where this guy dances with a broom. (laughs) That's a hell of a storyline. It's it's very odd. Every time I see it, I'm transported from my office back to the carefree teenage years. I could just see him just, just... just leaning back in his chair, wistfully uh, <laughs> looking at the ceiling. I like how someone considers yes, he, the mid eighties. Oh, <laughs> like how someone thinks the mid eighties are like uh, you know carefree years, right? <laughs> they got this new thing going around. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's this new carefree thing going around. I think they call it eighties. Uh, Is it eighties? Have you heard about this new drug called crack? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm transported from my office back to my carefree teenage years where my biggest problems were what to wear when dancing and what music I was going to boogie to and whether or not I'd get AIDS. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> and, then it ends with, and then it ends with, I, I'm popping and throwing waves as I write. Ooh. Which, if he actually was doing that, is pretty impressive that he was still able to write while he was <laughs> popping and throwing waves. I woke up in the intensive care unit. This <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that is Educating Mike for this episode. And now we have another special segment of the show. This is an interview that I conducted earlier with Larry Hankin, who you might remember from Breaking Bad, Mr. Heckles on Friends. He was on Seinfeld. He's been on a ton of stuff. Here it is, Larry Hankin. Well, everybody, this is a singular honor for me. I think all you guys will enjoy this as well. We have with us Larry Hankin, 
who you might not recognize the name, although a lot of you might, but you will certainly recognize his face and his voice. Uh, you know him as Mr. Heckles on Friends, as Old Joe from Breaking Bad, as Barry, who played Kramer in the show within a show on Seinfeld. For people like me, who are huge fans of 70s and 80s television and movies, you know him from Armed and Dangerous, uh, episodes of It's a Living, New Heart, That Girl, and Lou Grant. It is Larry Hankin. How are you, Larry? Um, well, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm fine. I guess <laughs> I'm terrific. Uh, one, 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 uh, correction. Um, yeah, I was on Friends, but Barry is a show, Barry, that, you know. That oh, yeah, 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 that's right. You were I, I was on that. I, I was the, uh, yeah, the, the hitman. That's right. Yeah, on Seinfeld, your, your name was something Pepper. Uh, I don't remember uh, the first name. Tom. Yeah, Tom. that's right. You are probably one of the more famous character actors that's out that's there. That's true, really? Oh, yeah. How... I have no idea. I don't think. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not in show business. I mean, in, in, my, my, in my little bailiwick, in my mind, I'm not in show business. I'm a guy who lives down the block and lives across the street from, you know, that restaurant over there. Well, that was kind of, uh, that was cool. Kind of, that was kind of my first question. Do you sort of view your career as the best of both worlds? You work a lot. Um, you know, obviously, you can make a living uh, doing acting and making films, which I'm sure is since you do it so much, I'm sure is your passion. But you're not necessarily hounded by paparazzi and things like that, like uh, the quote unquote a list stars are. Do you kind of look at that as the best of both worlds? Um, you would think so, but no. Okay. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, uh, it's a kind of a, it's a well-known small fact, but no, I, I think of myself as popcorn. Uh, and that's a philosophical, uh, kind of, uh, attack on the subject. Uh, popcorn in that it's a kernel of corn, a person I am, a, per, a, a kernel of corn that is constantly in the process of popping. In other words, I always want to grow. I, I, I never, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here now. I want to be there now. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, I'm, uh, so I, I, I am never satisfied. I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> it's very frustrating, but that's how it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I got to keep going, man. <laughs> You're uh... <laughs> This ain't the end. Your filmography, I think, would certainly bear that out, that uh, you've taken on uh, lots of, of different roles. Um, you, you know, you started yeah. you started on That Girl uh, in 1968. That's the first uh, credit that I have. Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that. I thought my first credit was Laverne and Shirley. Where does that come in? Because I thought that was my first. I guess I was up in San Francisco, and I didn't count... Uh, that girl, because I was living in San Francisco, so that was just a blip. Okay, uh, something that. Uh, but yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, I'll take IMD these word for it. <laughs> but uh, so, starting from '68 and, and working up until now, um, and, yeah. and and into the future, obviously, the business has changed. Are you being arrested? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think. My apartment building is on fire. Oh, no, they no. Just went past. 
Okay, we're cool. Okay, we're cool. But, uh, you know, starting in 68 and working, you know, up until now in the future, obviously the business has changed quite a bit. What do you wow, think? Wow, yeah. What do you think is the biggest change as far as, uh, you know, the, the movie-making business goes? Okay, I, the thing that pops into my mind is the, the Internet. I mean, uh, and, and therefore access. And you would think that the Internet gives you more access, but no, it gives you less. I could call up, when I first started, this is like in the dark ages, um, you know, you could call an agent and say, hey, you know, can I have an interview? You, you, you could get an agent... Um, a little more, more easily than you can now because because everybody assumes they have access to agents or producers or directors or whoever you want to call. Millions of people, they call from Austria. So, you know, it's almost impossible to get connected in Hollywood. That's why I don't... Uh, kind of focus on it. That's why I, I, I do my own things and I kind of get fed up every once in a while with the fact that you would think with all my credits I could get anyone to take my phone call or interview. No, that's not, that's not true. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot harder access. I guess that's the answer. Access. Yeah. You, you were in Escape from Alcatraz with uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, oh, was he in that too? <laughs> oh, I can't I remember. Yeah, 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 he was in it. Yeah. Would, you, would, would you consider that um, kind of the, the big break of your career? No, not at all. That was, in other words, that was the epitome of my career. Do you realize that I got co-star billing with Clint Eastwood, and that was my first major motion picture. Yeah. And that was, what was that, 79, around around there, 79 or 80, something like that. So I I just, right out of the box, I moved down here. Uh, So that that was my official, you know, feeling that I was in Hollywood. I moved down here and was sleeping on people's couches. couches. (laughs) And and, uh, uh, the first thing I got, and that's why I say Laverne and Shirley was the, the first thing I got when I moved down here was Laverne and Shirley, or I kind of got that and then moved down here. In other words, I, uh, Laverne, uh, um, what was her real name? Uh, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall, yeah. Uh, yeah, Penny Marshall saw me in the committee up there. So I was living in San Francisco and with the committee. Uh, and um, so she came up there, and I got a call saying, you know, would you please come down? We want to interview you because uh, we want you on the show. So I went down for the interview, and I got not only the interview, but I, well, I went down for the interview. I was hired, and then I moved. I got Laverne and Shirley, and then I moved down and was couch surfing, and then I got Escape from Alcatraz. So I went from being, you know, well, I was a guest star, I guess, role in Laverne and Shirley, and then a uh, co-star uh, in Escape from Alcatraz, and it was downhill from there for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like Escape from Alcatraz, but seeing your work, I don't know that I would totally agree that it was downhill. Well, to me, because uh, you know, I all you, there's there's three things that that this manager, the, this agent that I got because of Laverne and Shirley, he stayed with me for for quite a while, and uh, I was getting tired of 
I don't know. So he, he, what he said was, there's only three things you, you, that count in this town, and you have to get two. And it was uh, billing, money, and roll. And he said, you, you, if, if you're anybody, if you have any kind of power at all, you must get two of those three. And, and major stars get all three. And I, that was, I was getting a huge amount of money, and I got billing. So I got two of those three right out of the box, uh, almost my second job, I believe. So, and then, when I say downhill, I never got that billing for, I never got that billing. Coast on billing. I always got, uh, uh, all those things with guest star, guest star billing. And I just got tired of it, you know. So, uh, so I just started doing my own thing and making my own movies. So then, Hollywood became an ancillary money machine. Mm-hmm. It was just like an ATM. That was all. It would just, because I spent millions, well, not millions, but, but hundreds of thousands, I guess, on my films. I, you know, I have, oh, I don't know, 30, a minimum of 30 films. I don't know. Some were 20 minutes, and some were a minute and a half. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I just got tired of the Hollywood uh, begging. Uh, people call it auditioning, but it's, you know, please hire me every, you know, every two or three months. Because mm-hmm. even if you do a major motion picture, it's what, three months work. And then <laughs> you're on the street again. So you got to save your money. And, and there's that whole thing about the fact that, you have to figure, yeah, I'm getting like hundreds of thousands, well, not me, hundreds of thousands, but thousands of dollars for this one role. And then three months later, you're out of work and you've got to make sure that money you got, right. which is fun, is going to keep you going until you get your next job. You know, and then your next job, not necessarily as much money as the one you just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot down here. Right. <laughs> down here, on the East Coast here. So my looking at Hollywood is not how my fans or your fans or any fans look at it, you know? Uh, it's just uh, a, whole different, a whole different world if you're looking at it from the inside out. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm sure. That, that kind of dovetails you making your own movies uh, nicely into my next couple questions. I want to talk about uh, Solly's Diner for a minute. Now, this was a, a short film that uh, you wrote, directed, produced, and starred in in 1980. It was uh, yeah. nominated for an Oscar. Um, right. And uh, I've seen the other films that year. I saw the, the film that won. Nice film, but I have to say I don't quite agree. Your your film is hilarious. Um and just so wait, what, what don't you agree in what you do? I don't know which one you're talking about. I think you should have won. Oh, <laughs> right. Me too. I was pissed. But, I was pissed. I went to that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the the the, the, uh, the Academy Awards because my film was in it, and I'm sitting there, you know, and I had uh, because I was starving at the time. I had spent all my money on that film because I w- I wasn't established in 1980. I the, the money that I got from Escape from Alcatraz went into Sally's Diner. So all the money that, you know, I had, I paid off a lot of debts with the, the Escape from Alcatraz uh, salary. And the rest I spent on uh, rent and uh, Sally's Diner. So I went to the Academy Awards, and to do that I had to buy my 
girlfriend a, a nice dress, you know. She, nobody <laughs> has a, a dress that you're going to wear, wear to the Academy Awards. Because right. you're only going to wear it once. You know, and she, you know, and I had to wear a tuxedo. So she said, "Hey, man, you got a tuxedo? I got to look cool too, right?" So you know, we went shopping. So we had that, and then we had to get a limo, and uh, yeah, it was like a big deal. Uh, and then I didn't win. What the hell? And what was all that money for? What the <laughs> hell did I buy her the dress and this tuxedo and the limo? What the heck is going on? So it was not no, an honor to be nominated then. No. <laughs> No. It was a burden. It was a trick. No, it was a trick. That's what it was. So it pulled a rug. No, I really was. I, you know, I, you know, if you're nominated, you're going to get it. That's it. Right. Next question. <laughs> That is just a small excerpt of a very long, in-depth, and fascinating interview that we did with Mr. Hankin previously. And the full interview will be available as a bonus episode tomorrow. So look for that on Massive Late Fees page tomorrow, Friday. We are going to have the entire interview with Larry Hankin. You will not want to miss it. It is absolutely fascinating. And now, back to the show. Which brings us to our main topic... The screwball comedies of the 1980s. I grew up watching a lot of these movies. Mike and I are roughly the same age. I'm going to. I'm not. I'm not going to ask a lady her age, but I'm going to assume that you're a bit younger than us, savvy. But yes, I, I had a little touch of the 80s. We'll just <laughs> put my age there. Um, so I'm aware of like some of the 80s comedies, like which I watched after they came out, were like like Weird Science. Um. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Alien earlier. Uh, oh my gosh, that's that scared a, the crap that's a hilarious out of me. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alien. Um, what was the one with the red eyeball? Like Terminator? Was that the? Yeah, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, they were just a little bit before my time. Like, um, and then the. Oh, you mentioned the um. No, what was the one with Glenn Close? Like a long time ago, like. Kramer or versus she, Kramer or Sophie's Choice? No, she like no, put the bunny uh, in the pot like a long oh, time fatal ago. Attraction. Fatal attraction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kramer versus Kramer and, and uh that's in Sophie's Choice's uh Meryl Streep. Right. They were like before my time a little uh, bit, but like right. I knew about them like when I became old enough and like my parents like had seen them and so I like I knew about them and I never did see flash dance or um Oh yeah. What's the main, like, big one from the 80s? Footloose? Footloose was awesome. Yeah. But there was one that was, like, um, there's, like, a song that goes with it. It's, like, the uh, Ghostbusters? Pa- paler Shade of White or oh, Shades of... Oh, uh, um, um, I, I know. I know what you're talking about. Uh, whiter Shade of Pale. Yeah, we what's that the one? Light fandango. Yeah, like I never saw that, but my parents like I knew that they were fans, but I was still young at the time, too young. I believe- but I never did watch that one. It was like, um, is that the big gosh. chill or? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never saw that, but I guess it got like rave like reviews. So. Yeah, but so so we're uh, we're doing the the '80s comedies. You might not know as many of these, but. Uh, you mentioned one, Weird Science. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's definitely uh, on the list. Mike, do you did you have you seen Weird Science, the original Weird Science? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. 
that's oh, that's another that's a good movie yeah it's a very yeah. interesting film um for for those of you who you know aren't aware of it uh 1985 it's uh john hughes i believe and um john so yeah i think uh let me see if i can remember yeah john hughes wrote it and directed it and Joel Silver, the famous producer, produced it. But it's basically Anthony Michael Hall, and I think his name is uh, Ellen or Elon Mitchell Smith. I think is his name, and Kelly LeBrock. But that those two play kind of nerds that think that they can create a woman with a computer program. They put bras on their heads. They get it's Frankenstein is basically what it is. But they put a they put a Barbie doll on this thing. Is this is during the the age when no one knew how computers worked. They just thought that they were magic, basically. And so they use a Barbie doll and they put in all these the measurements and how they want her to look and everything. And then lightning strikes their house, I think, or their power line, and it goes through the computer and it creates Kelly LeBrock. Uh, so they've actually created a, a woman named Lisa, who then they they kind of teach how to how to act in society, and she basically plays their guardian angel, making them cooler. And she has all these magic powers; she can manifest things, make things disappear. It right. is it's a it's it's definitely a goofball film, but it is. But like a lot of John Hughes films, it, it's it's really good. It's a it's a Pretty funny and, and solid film. You you said you saw this, Savvy, right? I did, and um, I also wanted to mention that Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. um, he's been credited in films such as Terminator, Weird Science, Aliens, Predator 2, Tombstone, True Lies, Apollo 13, Twister, Titanic, Mighty Joe Young, U571, Vertical Limit, Edge of Tomorrow, and Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. He was also featured as the brother Chet, yep. who is the, do you call it the antagonist in the movie? Oh, yes. Um, and he actually sadly died last, or actually not last year. It's February 25th. Oh, his death anniversary yeah, was, was yesterday. Yeah. yeah, it was yesterday, actually. Yeah, yeah he I died two years ago yesterday. So kudos to Bill Paxton. Yeah. I'm awfully sorry. This is awful. Um, but yeah, he, yes, basically, I just gave a synopsis because I just looked everything up. But yeah, that was a, a really great movie for its time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it has a lot of John Hughes staples in it, but also just a lot of staples of really wacky, high concept '80s comedies. This is this is the type of movie that the '80s was was really known for. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is in this too. He's he's another one of the oh my the antagonists it's like, in the film. What was he and um, Winona Ryder were like staples in oh, like yes. the '80s movies. They yeah. were like just like uh, got a new movie this year. And then eventually, like, um, Leonardo DiCaprio started having, like, normal stuff out. But anyway, that's a little bit later, I think. Uh, Mike, what uh, what what movie do you think best represents these kind of 80s comedies? Well, that's a, that's a really uh, that's a really good question. There's so many that are just, like, like perfectly, like, capture the entire, like, you know, genre. Like, mm-hmm. um, let's see, truth. My my favorite probably 80s like wacky comedy and this might actually be the most like you know quintessential uh, 80s like comedy is probably uh, Back to School with Ronnie Dangerfield. Oh yeah, I love it. 
it's got so many staples. It's got, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, who, like, was, like, really, like, you know, a huge star at the time. Uh, again, Robert Downey Jr. is in this. Yep. Um, William Zopka plays the villain, which he did for quite a few movies in the 80s. Yes, uh, he which, did. You know, is, I mean, and thankfully he's in, you know, was in Cobra Kai because he's really good in that. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see more of him. Um, <coughs> pardon me. And, of course, the uh, great Kurt Vonnegut also makes a cameo, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just, I, I don't even understand how that happens in the movie. Yeah, it's a highlight for us. Mike and I are both big Kurt Vonnegut fans, uh, the the uh, writer, the late writer. And that's, yeah, for, that's a great part. Yeah, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, the premise is that this uh, this son of, like, a wealthy man uh, starts going to school. And uh, he can't quite, he's having trouble. I think he's homesick or something. I, I don't quite remember exactly what's going on. But then his dad decides to move into the dorm with him and go back to school, hence the title, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get his degree as well. But also because he kind of needs a break from like his stressful, high powered executive uh, business type lifestyle. Yep. And uh, it's got a lot of like, it, it's. You, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be upset if someone used this as a premise for just to have Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> tell like a bunch of his funny one-liners, you know, for two mm-hmm. or two hours or so. But that's not. This movie is. I mean, there. He definitely has a lot of like good lines in it, but it's not. It's a. It's a fun movie all throughout. It's entertaining. Um, like I said, you know, the cameo was fun. Sam Kinison is in it as well. He's. Uh, it's probably one of his few film roles that I know of. Yep. It's like mm-hmm. a reverse Tommy Boy. Him going back to school, like where his son's more affluent. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point because uh in Tommy Boy, obviously he gets no, out wait, of college wait. and he goes to and works for his dad. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were uh meant Billy Madison for some reason. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, back to school is, is a great movie. And like you said, Mike, one of the things that I think is great about it is that like you know, like you said, they didn't just use it as a vehicle for one-liners for Rodney Dangerfield, they really worked at crafting a story. And yeah, it's it's really it's, I can't remember who plays his uh, love interest. She's kind of a famous actress. Isn't Sally she? Kellerman. Oh, maybe not. I, no, I mean, she's not she's I been don't. in a lot of stuff. And one of my favorite like characters from the eighties is I, I I do not know her name, and I feel really bad. It's uh, the woman who plays uh, Thornton Mellon's uh, secretary. Um, you know, the one who kind of shows up. She's got the red hair, like the kind of like if you saw her, you would recognize her. She's a character actress who's been a ton and tons. Of was she stuff. in um, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yep, she was the secretary in Ferris. Okay, Bueller's yeah, Day I know exactly she's like who the, you're talking about. She's like the secretary. Yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> I, I, she's great, you know, as always, and it's fun to see her. I, that's actually another good one. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's one of your favorite movies, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is definitely one of my favorites in this in this genre. Another uh, John Hughes film, and just I, like that—that's another one where it's just the movie is fun all the way around. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of Matthew Broderick, this is probably—I mean, this this and War Games would be his two quintessential '80s '80s roles, and I think this one is probably the one that he's more known for. But this has a yeah, lot, I think you're right. This has a lot of um, of John Hughes staples, where uh, you know it's Chicago plays a big role in the film. Uh, Chicago is like the co-star of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, you know, it features I if the city was a sponsor, right? It features a a group of uh, te- or, you know a couple teenagers who are wealthy that don't know they're wealthy. <laughs> so, 
Right, right. <laughs> that's, right. That's like in every John Hughes movie ever. Right. Uh, because that was John Hughes when he was growing up. His family oh, was like, yeah. you know, upper middle class, like real, real, like not quite rich, but like on that precipice, real upper middle class. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he just kind of grew up like he just assumed all this was normal. Everyone's got this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> the, biggest pro- the biggest problems you, you have are you going to get kissed on your 16th birthday? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would have made this more of a John Hughes movie is if uh, John Candy had made a cameo at some point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love John Candy. Yep. I cried when he died. He was like the best. Like, I mean, there's nobody like John Candy. Like, um, Chris Farley came pretty close, but. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we definitely can't talk about like 80s comedies without mentioning John Candy. He was in, you know, a ton of, had a, like, basically a perfect hitting streak throughout the entire year. Yeah, like yeah. when people ask which 80s star I miss the most, that's John Candy, hands down. Just, oh, yeah. just, it was a devastating loss. Yeah, and he was in a slew of, of these films, like you said, Mike uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck. Uh, the, the great outdoors. The great outdoors. Yep, the great outdoors, which is which is one of my favorites, and I know that your wife, uh, who is my cousin, uh, so you just so you know, Savvy is a huge oh, fan. Is. That's awesome. It's a huge fan of it. Yeah, you know what? You know what? That reminds me of Mike. It reminds me of uh, <laughs> uh, your wife, my cousin Alex, had a uh, a friend named Becky, and all of us were hanging out one time, and she said to me. She, we were talking about Alex's sister, Kelly, and she said to me, Becky says to me, you know Kelly, right? And I just kind of stared at her, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's my cousin, just like Alex is. <laughs> so I've known her literally my entire life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, yeah, The the Great Outdoors is, if you, if you guys haven't seen The Great Outdoors, because it's probably one that's not as seen as some of these I've, other ones. I've seen it in bits. It used to be on TV all the time, like mm-hmm. back when you know they would have movies on TV all the time. Right. And I've seen. I've probably seen it. Like you know, if I assemble all the different parts I've seen together, I've probably seen the whole thing. But I couldn't tell you what happens other than the part that there's like a bear trying to eat someone. Yeah. But well, he- the main, the big trailer that they showed was like, sorry, this is a spoiler, but he takes the shotgun, the double barrel shotgun. And basically blows the hair off the bear's ass, and like then you mm-hmm. see the two bald spots exposing its butt cheeks yep. as it like roars out of the room. Like yep. so, that's like probably the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the basic plot of the Great Outdoors is that John Candy wants to take his family on vacation, and he wants to take them to the wilderness. Now that I think about it, it's sort of like the movie Grown Ups. It's basically kind of the same thing because he wants to take them instead of going to like some big resort or uh, Disneyland or something like that. He wants to take them to just kind of like enjoy themselves and relax. You know. Oh yeah, that's that's and, a, that's a, another staple. Like City Slickers is really kind of like that too. Yeah. If you you know if you consider you know cow cow poking uh, being uh, relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Well, Lam- and if you see, and if you've seen the movie, it's not. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I love what I loved about the Lampoons movies was that he was trying to take his family out to vacations, but yep. it was his own wonky way, and he ended up getting everybody in trouble times, which is made that was the hilarity comp like 
the point of the whole thing. You know that but, might that might be yeah. the quintessential '80s movie, uh, National Lampoon's uh, yes. Summer Vacation. <laughs> yep. Or was, it, was it called? Vacation? It was just called Vacation. It was all of them. There was Christmas Vacation. There was summer. There was a couple of them that were just classic, just goodness. Yeah, and that might be the first of because yeah, I that, I believe that came out in 1980 or 1981. And yeah, that, so many elements came together. I mean, it's. The first of like Saturday Night Live stars really like making like a big impact on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. Chevy Chase was, you know, it's like, wow, this Chevy Chase guy, he's his stars are ever gonna, you know, fall right. Um, it was a National Input itself was a big source of writers for the earlier uh seasons of um uh, SNL as well. I think there yep. are a lot of people were from Harvard, you know, and there's a lot of like Harvard people still at Saturday Night Live. Um, I, I don't think Lauren Michaels was involved, um, but I mean, Anthony Michael Hall, he was, you know, becoming like a really big star on that time. And he actually either at that time or later, no, I think it was a bit later. He went on to be on Saturday Night Live even. Mm-hmm. Of course, you John Candy's in it briefly. But, yeah, you know. John Candy. But you know, it's strange. And I've noticed this, like every place I've worked, even in the media, you have clicks of people, even in no matter what stations you work at. So like you could have like people that, band together they could be on a certain movie they don't take all the other actors with them but they like gel with a certain amount of actors and then they continue on like making stuff together adam sandler is a perfect example because for Mm. all his movies he uses like the same actors pretty much for every single movie and so that kind of illustrates my point a little bit and i think that happened with lampoons and um i think uh chris farley i don't know if he was part of mad tv i know um Oh, what's his name? I know. Um, I'm having a name day today. <laughs> what is his name? J- um, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Oh, Jim, Jim Carrey was, was... On, uh, in Living Color. Yep, in Living Color. Right. There was like a couple. There was Mad TV in Living Color and Saturday SNL. But um, I know like certain groups like kind of band together and they made it, ended up like doing a lot of stuff together. Like Mike Myers with uh. Who was the the? Oh my gosh! I mean, this is like not a good day to have like name blocks. Not just Dana Carvey, but um, the one that played the donkey, um, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock. Oh, Chris, Chris Rock. Rock okay. Right with Mike Myers. Like so, there was. I'm just having a bad day with names, which is bad for the show. <laughs> no, but, you're um, fine. But there's definitely like. You definitely gel when you first get like a network or co-actors or co-people that you gel with and you'll know. And it's weird. I'm going to segue a tiny bit because having been in the industry like 15 years now, I realize now that I also have my own circle of people that like includes Motley Crue. Um, Just there's a whole group of people and we're all like connected, Mm -hmm. which is super weird. Because there's other celebrity circles that are not connected to us at all. And it just happens in every, like, media social circle or entertainment social circle. Mm. So, just... I think uh, Stephen King would call that a quartet. Yeah, exactly. Not sure. But, like, I just know that, like, it does happen and it's just, like, so weird. But you can see, like, definitely, like, Chris Farley and David Spade were just super tight. They were, like... The circle nexus and like there was a couple people around that and then of course like i said adam sandler and his group were around a, a different one and mine happens to be motley crew plus like how i got about name day let me get back to you okay i have like other people that are in my circle that 
it's just weird because like I'll see the same contacts that they have. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a Facebook algorithm. Like there's, there's just like different stuff that happens that, um, kind of substantiates that like on a different realm. I just think there's just, you're just supposed to be with certain, I don't know how much you believe in that, but it just seems odd to me that there's just different circles in whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's, that's a, uh, uh, that's one of the things that interests me a lot when I when I look at different movies is sort of who gravitates towards each other and who does work with each other and the, kind of the stories about you know how they met and stuff like like I I like a lot of the biopics of that actually with National Lampoons there's a movie called uh, a what's it called a um, something catastrophic failure or something it's that a fu- feudal it's a line from from Animal House a it's not a stupid and futile gesture, but it's something like that. It's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really good movie. It's on Netflix, but it's, it's basically, it's about the life of Doug Kinney, who was one of the founders of the national lampoon. The, the Harvard lampoon has been around for, uh, at this point over a hundred, like 150, 160 years or something like that. But, uh, when they, went to Harvard, they decided they were going to start a national magazine of the Lampoon. They they had written on the Lampoon, and they licensed the name from Harvard to use it, and they started that national humor magazine, which is where a lot of those Saturday Night Live uh, writers came from, Michael O'Donohue and, and uh, Annie Beats and some of the early Saturday Night Live people came from there, and some of the performers, too, because they did uh, the Our Lemon. radio show. Yeah, Wasn't Bill, Bill Murray was yep. on the radio show, I believe, and Dan Aykroyd? Yeah, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, um, uh, John Belushi was on there, Gilda Radner was on there, uh, Christopher Guest who did some stuff with Saturday Night Live later after they had already started. But yeah, Lauren Michaels took a lot of those people away from the Lampoon to start his show. And um, the, this move, the National Lampoon's Vacation was the second National Lampoon's movie they did. The first one, obviously, was Animal House, which was John Landis directed that, and Doug Kinney was one of the writers on it. And this was after Doug Kinney had left to do his own thing. Uh, this might actually be after he died. I'm not sure. But uh, they went on to do Caddyshack, uh, Harold Ramis and, and him. But uh, Harold Ramis directed this. So, you know, obviously he still had the connection to the Lampoon. Maddie Simmons, who was their financer, basically, produced it. Uh, John Hughes, who wrote for the Lampoon after Doug Kenny, he wrote this movie and it was based on his his writings in the national lampoon and then you know they got chevy chase chevy chase was another one that worked with uh with the groundlings and on the national lampoon radio show as well and he was a he was one of doug kenny's best friends and so they they did this movie together and like i said this might be my favorite of the 80s screwball comedies and i think it's it's it's, it's really top-notch one and it's one of the first it's one it's definitely one of the first ones that if from this decade that really kind of set the tone for what a lot of other comedies would be like during this this era uh and then you know that you move on from there like uh, one of the big ones that people remember a lot now is uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Savvy, have you ever seen Revenge of the Nerds? Yes, I have. 
that's a movie that would be very we've talked we i think what was it, the first episode i think mike we talked about, yeah, first episode we talked about it. but uh that's definitely a movie that would be really problematic nowadays i mean they they do a <laughs> panty raid and then they set up cameras inside the woman's dorm and spend a lot of time watching them change and these are our heroes there's there's and a maybe- there's a rape scene in the film yeah I mean, the hypocrisy of the whole thing just is... Well, back in the the day, I think, like, 80s people was, you know, it was just like a... It was... I mean, they were trying to be progressive, but it was a whole different thing back then. Like, it was... It was like, that was... I think 80s producers, pardon me, but I could be wrong. That was like on the cusp of where every damn movie started to be softcore porn. So I think they were trying to bridge every damn movie with, we're going to just bridge that line and test the water, put our toe in the water to see how it goes. And we're going to just go there and be that dramatic because I'm going to put this out there too. Hold on. I have to cough. Um, I liken the 80s to like probably the 60s where it was like the last innocent generation. Like, granted, there was the 60s, then the radical 70s or late 60s, 70s. But then there was also the 70s, which were super mellow. And then the 80s were pretty good and politically good and all whatever, what have you. But people were largely conservative, and so the movies and whatever producers were trying to make a big break. And, like, again, they were trying to put their... And who knows? I don't know back then what the FCC was doing. I don't know what the rating system was doing. That's beyond my... before my time. But I know now, but... um, So, I don't know, but I just know that they were trying to venture forth. And I just know that all the movies that I saw back then had a lot of like softcore or at least boobs were like softcore or any reference to underwear or you know seeing a girl naked and all that so i think they were just trying to like throw that out there and see what they could do with it yeah because it got it got ratings back then it was ratings gold oh yeah and that's important they definitely pushed the maxim that sex sells i think about as far as they could this obviously was around the time that Porky's came out. There, there was a period in this. Yeah, yeah good. I'm sorry. I was just saying. There's a lot of movies that are just very thinly veiled, like excuses. Just have like as much nudity on screen. I think Porky's mm-hmm. definitely is one of them because there's. I mean, the poster for Porky's advertises a nude scene in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And this, but I think, Revenge of the Nerds is actually good enough to exist without. If you took all those elements out of it, it's still a fun movie. I mean, I, I, I think it's a really a movie. I mean, obviously, the uh, if you look at it as like a dark humor movie, you might enjoy it a lot more, right? Especially you know with the way like cultural norms and such have changed right. since then. But yeah, right, it's pretty. I mean, it's a good movie without the nudity. I agree. And pretty you, and Pretty you, and Pink was a good one. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, I agree. If you take if you take the if you take those elements out of it, then it's it's still the the writing is still good. It's still a, a lot fun of good movie. actors are yeah. there. Curtis Armstrong, uh, Robert um, Carradine. Yep. Uh, what the guy from Thirty Something is on there too is Poindexter. I forget his name. But, um, oh yeah, yeah Mike or Busfield, Timothy Busfield. That's it. Yeah, he's been in a lot of other stuff too. I just don't remember off the top of my head. I remember the name of the secretary from Back to School and uh, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Edie McClure. 
Edie McClure. Oh, I want her on my show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed no. seeing her in movies. It's like it was almost like a stamp of like qual a certain quality that she would be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but- I have to say, um, oh go, sorry, no, go ahead. no, go ahead. Well, so like in the eighties, like to further exemplify what it meant to have like such a scene in a movie, this is what a big deal it was. Like, like I was, you know, early nineties, junior high. So I got a taste of the, like basically eighties. I got a good enough taste of it, but I know that like a kiss meant everything. I'm not trying to quote John Cougar Mellencamp because <laughs> Holy crap, that's a great song. A kiss meant everything. That was equivalent to sex. If you went to like a dance and you actually kissed your partner on the dance floor, that was huge. Oh, yeah. Like we were on the cusp, the after cusp of like dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. But guess what? That's so cool. And so these movies really pushed it for. So for the girls, like. Oh my God, we got kissed! Yay, that's a big deal. But for the guys, if you saw a boob or uh, a bush back in the day, sorry, you can cut that <laughs> off if you want. If you saw like a big deal thing like that back in the day, that was a big deal back in the day. Oh yeah. Like now, it's like, um, of course, all different now. But like, but it just kind of puts everything in perspective. How freaking kind of wonderful everything was. Kind of innocent, like. I mean, I've said this before, like, even when I was younger, like, the 80s was kind of the last innocent, like, because nowadays, like, what I hear what kids do now, like, um, like, on first dates and stuff, I'm kind of like, I wish they, like, knew, like, how just great, like, making out would be on, that would be huge on a first date. Like, I mm-hmm. wish they had that. And I know that's a big deal. I, like, personally hope it can go back to that because, like, it's just too much to, like, go all the way or halfway there, like, on a first date. Because then it's whatever. I mean, I'm being nostalgic, maybe. But there was a lot of magic in that. And, um, anyway, that's all I'm going to say on that because I thought that was just kind of neat. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, the, sorry. the internet has definitely changed films because, and I think one of the reasons why there there isn't more of this kind of playful you know let's get nudity in movies is because you know people can see whatever on the internet i mean you know mike and i can attest back in our day you know as like growing up as teenagers or in middle school or whatever seeing nudity it just it wasn't something that that happened you know you might try to uh to see the scrambled porn channels on cable or something like that, where, where it's just a bunch of colors and, and twisting light and you can't really see anything. But to be able to actually see something like that in a movie or a magazine, it just didn't happen. I mean, it was, you know, there was, it, there was just, you have to go no. to the woods and find a magazine. for that. <laughs> exactly. There was just, there was just no access to it at all. Really. Um, and, you know, another one that I thought of in this category, which is just a terrible, it's a terrible film, but it, it's, it's sort of funny, like it's sort of bad funny, uh, but 1982 Zapped with uh, Scott Bayo and Willie oh, Ames. I was, I was going to mention that actually. <laughs> Where he gets magical powers to be able, this is, this is what happens in the movie. 
I don't remember exactly how he gets these powers. Uh, it might be another. It's like I'm, a laser, I think, or something like that. Yeah, but he gets the power to like move. Red he gets the power to move things with his mind, and he uses it to lift girls' oh, dresses. Oh dear God! <laughs> so that and right up the their, right up the eighties alley, right? <laughs> oh, I, I just that remember that he was. You're right about that. Oh yeah, I just remember he went to Ralph Waldo Emerson High School. And, and I, I was just offended that they drew Ralph Waldo Emerson into this trash. The uh, oh, electricity during the film was powered by Ralph Waldo Emerson turning in his grave in a tour ride. Was <laughs> that's that's right. why I think that's exactly why I think the 80s was actually now that I think back and really also what you said is that 80s was kind of revolutionary because it was the... Because the 60s was a time of like suppression and war and people were starting to break out. And then the 70s, people were breaking out, but it was largely frowned upon by media. But in the 80s, this would have been actually the time where people would have definitely broken out and tried to make a quote unquote name for themselves. So that actually kind of makes sense that they would have tried to draw those lines in a accentuated manner so that yep. actually kind of makes sense yep another one of my favorites from this time period is a kind of forgotten film by uh the zucker brothers david and jerry zucker and jim abrams obviously they were they I think get, you know what you're gonna say they got very popular with airplane they did the naked gun movies which came out in the the early 90s but uh, this one gets overlooked a lot, but it's 1984's Top Secret. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, that's a great movie. It is a really, a really good movie. Omar Sharif and Peter Cushing are in this movie. Oh my it's god, Omar Sharif is in that. Ooh. It's probably my favorite movie of that whole genre. Like, I mean, Airplane's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like something I've you know seen referenced like a thousand times before I ever even saw the movie. So it's like, okay, yeah, I, it's it's no fun to me, you know? Yeah, like Top Secret, like you said, it's kind of like a hidden gem. Like it's weird. Like Val Kilmer's, let's say it might be one of his first movies. I don't know what he, what he was in much before that. I believe it was his first film. I think they discovered wow. him doing a play. That's pretty amazing because he does his own scene and he's actually pretty yep. good. Like he's got a pretty good voice in there. Yep. Um. Yeah. It's 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 a it's an he's a secret agent, so it's obviously a spoof on those genres. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. You're this is your movie. You you tell. <laughs> Well, you can you can definitely chip in, but yeah, he. I just he, got excited by it. I love that movie. It's it so is, good. It is a really great film, and it's it's definitely my favorite of the Zucker Brothers movies. Uh, yeah, he plays. He's he's a spy, and he's also like an Elvis Presley style. Right. Yeah. He's a rockabilly surfer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The first song in the movie is Skeet Surfing, where <laughs> yeah. it's people. It's people surfing and then trying to shoot skeet and they're falling down and bullets are going everywhere. Title could have another meaning as well. Oh. Right. But yeah, um you know, it's funny I like one of the things that I like about the Zucker brothers that they're from and Jim Abrams too. They're from Wisconsin. I think they're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Over the beers yeah, exactly. And I like that, you know, obviously we're in the Midwest too, but so maybe we're sort of biased, but I kind of like that style of humor, you know, like the New York style of humor, especially during this era would be like very sarcastic and biting Yeah, and the California. See, I really don't like this. Really? You don't? 
Like, I don't like really. I don't like like I like I like I don't like the style of humor. It's just like in general, it's just like it's like puns. You know, it's like I don't I don't really care for puns. It's like oh look, we're gonna do this, but oh, I mean, I know it's kind of like uh, uh, hypocritical because I like the movie Basketball, and there's a lot of that style of humor in there. But uh-huh. those aren't necessarily the parts that I find funny in Basketball. What uh, Roger Ebert had a quote, and I think it I don't I might have been about the naked gun. I think that's what it was about. I hated this film. Hated, <laughs> hated, hated. No, but Roger Ebert had this quote and he said, uh any Zucker Brothers film you see, any any joke, you laugh at twice. You laugh at the first time because of the joke, and then the second time you laugh at yourself for laughing at something so stupid. Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's sort of th- this is, and maybe maybe I'm kind of like you, where I don't love this type of humor. This type of humor can be done really poorly, but they did. Uh, it- yes, it can. There. Uh, what was the movie you mentioned last time? What zapped? <laughs> no, no, no. The movie last week. It was. I think it was the Educating Mike movie. Oh, um, the one where it was like a, um, it was like a parody of like three different terrible movies. Oh yeah, it uh, yeah the murder, the, the murder hungover games. games. Yeah, the hungover games. It's like that is like a terrible example of that. I mean, and even the best examples, in my opinion, aren't that good. I mean, I'll watch them. I'll give them a shot. Don't be a menace to South Central was pretty funny, but it was actually it was it was the same sort of comedy, but in a different style. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, yeah. So it's not just like, oh, I mean, there are some very obvious, like, dumb jokes, but it just seemed to be a little different somehow, and I enjoyed that more. But, I mean, I think I still like Top Secret better than Dopey Menace. What I think the difference is, is it's dumb jokes, but you can tell, it's like smart dumb. You can tell that they they put a lot of thought into these gags, even though they're they're kind of dumb gags. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's what you need to do in order to make it funny. You have to put a lot of work into it. And because it's harder to make stuff that's really dumb funny, but yeah, because uh, I think a lot of people just think like referencing something is funny. Like you know, if you right. like go to like a like a random social group, like there'll be one person who's like, "Oh, that's like that movie we just saw," and then everyone will kind of laugh, and mm-hmm. like it's like, okay, that's kind of funny, I guess, not really. But then like this whole movie is just like a whole movie of that kind of stuff. Like, oh look, I'm so hungry. Games. It's like that's not fucking funny. <laughs> right. I watch this movie exactly. But yeah, Top Secret is just there there are so many funny parts, there's so many funny lines. There's a few things that I think are probably lost on younger audiences. A few there's, oh, uh, there's, uh, yes. there's not a ton of dated references, but there's a few. Like at the beginning, I think it's when uh, he's on the train with Omar Sharif and they're pointing guns at them and he they said I don't know what you said to him because he, he the guy gets all mad and he said I just uh, told him that I put him on the uh, what is it Montgomery Ward's uh, mailing list or something like <laughs> something that, like that. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like if you didn't grow up in the early eighties you have no idea like why that would be something bad because they used to they would hound people. Um, right. but oh, there's two, just even if you see top secret for these two scenes alone, do you know, you know, the two I'm talking about? Mark? I think so. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, you, no, 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 go. Well, what is uh, the entire scene is filmed backward. It's just like yes. super interesting. Like the way they, I think they even speak the words backwards, which they is do. odd. Yep. Yeah. At one point, like he lets go of a book and it flies up into a shelf. It's like, it's like really, like I've seen a couple movies. Like, uh, have you ever seen the movie bringing out the dead? Uh, yeah. My, that's one of my wife's favorite movies. 
Yeah, that's a very underrated movie. Like, it's, I mean, you think because Nicolas Cage is in it, it's going to be bad, which, I mean, I mean, who would blame you at this point? But that's, like, <laughs> one of the few, like, good Nicolas Cage movies where, like, which allowed him to keep getting, like, millions of dollars for being all these terrible movies for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, like, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting movie. There's a whole backward scene in that one, too. But this one is just, like, wow. It's, like, amazing. you don't even realize. It. It's just, they basically did it for one gag, it seems like. Yeah, and th- that scene, there's two really, like, first of all, the technical aspect of doing that, like, because they're doing, you know, they're doing everything backwards, they're, spe- they're supposed to be speaking Swedish, I think, that's the scene that Peter Cushing's in, and we first see him, and he's got a magnifying glass to his eye, and his eye's all blown up because of the, ma- you think, because of the magnifying glass, and then he takes it away, and he just has a, a grotesquely <laughs> huge eye for some reason, so they put Peter Cushing's face like oh that's the other thing too uh anyone that's seen rogue one where they bring peter cushing back i'm i'm not positive but i'm pretty sure that they used the mold that they took of his face to uh to make that eye that they used that to to scan into the computer to digitally recreate him in in that film because it was one of the last molds that they had of his face oh that's weird but uh but yeah the that the technical aspects of of that are just astounding. And that's, yeah, that's one of the great things filmed, about it. You never seen this filmed entirely underwater. Like it's like they have a fight underwater. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's yeah. just, it, there's no need to do that. It's just like a nice cherry. Exactly. And that's the thing is they, they, they took pains, you know, in their craft. They, they really worked hard to put together this stuff, even though a lot of the humor is kind of, you know, dumb jokes, but it really works because of the the amount of of effort that they put into it. Yeah. The underwater scene that was the other scene you were talking about, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, Top Secret is fabulous. If you have not seen the movie, find some place where you can see it and Val Kilmer is just fantastic in the movie. It's one of the the best roles of his career, I think, because he, like you yeah. said, he does all his own singing and dancing. He is great at the singing and dancing, and he really gives a, a hilarious performance. Yeah, he's very, you know, I just realized when we were talking about this earlier, Val Kilmer is, like, really a really good actor. He's just not in a lot of stuff. Yeah. When I mean, you think of this, uh, The Doors, obviously, he really immersed himself into the character. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the movie myself, but, I mean, I think he did a good job performing, um, and Tombstone, I mean, that's like a, an amazing performance on that. He's just like this, like dying of uh, what was it? Um, ty- t- uh, shit. Was it typhus the, the, or was it? Uh, no, it's a uh, it's it's not it's the tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, that's what it was. yeah. And he's just like wow. It's like you know he's he's just steals the entire movie in that one. He's yep. he's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, he was also in the Island of Doctor Moreau, which was really bad. Yes. There are a lot of what like crazy stories about the island of Doctor. I Moreau. would I would read a book or watch a movie about that because I heard at one point Marilyn Brando wanted his character to be revealed as a dolphin. Yes. And just while wow, that's like his last movie, and he was you know not pleasant to work with for a while at that point, from what you know I've yep. heard. Yeah, he, it's a he, very odd. Movie. He he went very eccentric. The original director of the movie, who had labored for years and years to get this movie made because he really liked the story and he wanted it brought to the screen, he got fired from the project and he went and he hid in the woods while they oh were God. filming it. And then, like, cr- the, like people, like certain people would know. 
that he was in the woods. Like some some of the crew and and some of the <laughs> actors knew he was in the woods. The craft service people went and brought him food and stuff because he, he he literally just lived in the woods while oh they God. were filming this, so he could see what they were doing and 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 how it was going. It was just insane. Yeah, this, the movie is a complete train wreck. It's like at certain points it seems like at the very beginning it's like oh this might be good. And I was like, oh, no. And I was like, oh, wow. wow. It could be worse, right? Like, oh, no, he's singing now. Oh, God, yeah. But the, the story behind that is is much better than the story that they presented on the screen. There we go. Uh, our new Netflix uh, project, The Making of the Island of Dr. Moreau. There you go. Yeah, we'll do that. Savvy, you can produce it for us. Do you want to tell Absolutely. us a little bit more about yourself, too? You have a, you have a radio, uh, internet radio as well correct right um so i basically let's see i guess i'll start from the beginning um i basically graduated broadcasting school from 2003 i got my first job in an am mom and pop gospel station uh and that was like the day after i graduated broadcasting school and then i was there for like two years and then after that um I worked for the Bot Radio Network. They have like a hundred wide, and I oversaw their production for the entire Midwest region, Texas and Arkansas. And um, then I worked for Fox, CW, and Ion Television. And I like did audiobooks for tape publishing. And so, basically, in a nutshell. Uh, that's my history. Then I started Radio Love a few years ago, like using all my knowledge that I have and basically just growing shows. And now I have like my own, like my own show Schmidt Talk is just kind of part of it. Um, I'm like launching other shows with other hosts, but I have to keep myself relevant. So I have to keep my own show in the limelight. Do you, have a, do you have like a general theme on your show or is it just kind of whatever interests you at the time? Yeah, pretty much like it's just a basic talk show. When I like started the other shows, like I wanted to make sure that they had like themes for the shows, like so that we could have like an easier time getting guests plus an easier time getting ho um, sponsors. And like, so that's always just makes things easier. But pretty much my own show, like <laughs> it kind of got backburnered a little bit, but it's getting more in the limelight now because of. I have to like keep myself relevant also. Um, I define myself more as a producer than a host, although I don't mind hosting. I love hosting, but um, I really get a lot of satisfaction of building hosts and marketing them and building great things out of their shows. Like I said, I've got 15 years in the industry. Um, I've got, I mean, I can do digital production all day long, 24-7, and just pretty much, like, that's, like, my strong suit. Um, do you have, like, a website or anything set up for that, or is it just kind of, like, people you know and that sort of thing? Pretty much, like, radiolove.com. That's, like, my company is Radiolove, so it's radioluv.com. And that's, like, where I put out the shows that I produce, plus we have, like, a live stream that we have like not just the shows that I produce, but just other shows that we submit to the network and pretty much like, yeah, you can just like see everything at the site, radio, Sounds good. 
Uh, well, that is our show for tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Massive Late Fee. Check out that at MSC Network as well. Uh, Mike, you're at Mike uh, underscore Fee. No, I think it's Late underscore Mike. That's right. It's Late underscore Mike. At Late underscore Mike is where you can find Mike. Savvy, where can people find you online? You can always find me at RadioLove.com. RadioLuv.com. Okay. And um, you can email us at uh, at um, MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, MassiveLateFee. Look out, look out for our audio commentaries on Bandcamp. Uh, get, go to our Patreon if you want. Uh, donate a dollar. You know, that uh, always helps us continue to, to produce this show for you guys. And as we always say, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Uh, we still have a contest going on where if you give us the most creative or funny way that you've worked listening to Massive Late Fee in a conversation that has nothing to do with Massive Late Fee, we're giving away a $100 Amazon gift card. So check that out. Uh, you enter by tweeting that at us using the hashtag Massive Late Fee. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Savvy, thanks for being here. Special thanks to Jason for the theme song, for Larry Hankin for joining us tonight. Savvy, thank you for joining us. Check out Savvy Schmidt and all the good work that she's doing, and we will see you next time. Bye. See you later. Thank you. Bye.